What we're covering this morning, I've titled Excelling Generosity. Excelling Generosity. This is part one. Uh, The Apostle Paul, as he writes to the Corinthians, he goes through, as we've marked them out, to be uh, chapter eight, and then it goes also into chapter nine. Now, the title of this whole series that we're going through in this letter to the Corinthians is titled Generous. And that's what we're learning um, to be, is, is a people, God's people, who are generous in the ways in which God is glorified. And so this is, I believe, an important topic and one that we need to understand more correctly. Um, I, we were just talking the other day about how it is that our theology needs to be correct. And actually, uh, Ray kind of touched on it, how it is that even, even when he's sick and you know he was in bed, in a comfortable bed, and had his wife that was cooking for him and preparing all these things for him, that, that he, he needed to put things in proper perspective. And yet, let me just tell you this, that God's glory sometimes even comes at the expense of our well-being. Is he good? He's good all the time, even at our expense. The Apostle Paul, as I pointed out on Wednesday, we need to be reminded that he was told by Jesus Christ that he would suffer many things for the name, namesake of Jesus, for his namesake. So these are the things that we need to put in proper perspective. We need to have a right theology, a right biblical way of thinking, a right worldview and not necessarily, necessarily our own slant on it. And when that does come to an intersection, we need to yield to the truth of God's Word and not our own opinions or philosophies even that we've come to build our lives around. So here in this section of Scripture, we're going to be taking a look at generosity. The generosity not of the Corinthians, which is interesting because the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and yet he points to the generosity of the Macedonians to serve as an example for them. So let's begin by reading 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Father, we desire to please you, and yet we do it so imperfectly. Lord, we are still learning and growing and maturing and strengthening, Father, in walking that out in our lives in a way in which we certainly do reflect that more perfectly to others as it's 
revealed in our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would give us understanding this morning of this section of Scripture that we are studying this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to have hearts that are moldable, that we are not set in our ways, and, and yet we are willing to receive humbly from you instruction, correction, direction, and everything that is necessary for your glorification in our lives. And so, Lord, we commit this morning into your hands, Lord. Speak to us, I pray, Father. Give us understanding by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Few characteristics in a person will better reflect the quality of their heart than generosity or the lack of it. Generosity is the quality of being kind and willingly, joyfully, and freely giving lavishly and unselfishly. Now, generosity can take many forms. From giving of self in time and knowledge to giving of self in money and material goods in so many other ways. So it's not just in, you know, with our pocketbooks, but it's in so many different ways that we can be a generous people. Some people like to give of themselves to children, and so some are teachers, coaches, counselors. Some people like to give of themselves to public service. And then other people give of themselves to perhaps the elderly or other things in like manner. They find ways to do that. Each of these people can start out, by the way, with great intentions. You know, you start out, oh man, I really love kids. Let's say you're a teacher. I really love kids and I want to be a teacher and I want to just do this for them and that for them and, and see them grow. And, and uh, if you have bad motives or selfish motives, I want to say, then what happens is uh, that turns quickly. And you start looking at everything else instead of the kids and what's best for them and teaching them. All of a sudden you take your eyes off and start taking a look at the politics of the school that you're a part of, uh, the principal that oversees that school or other things that go on. You can fall into no matter how you're being generous with yourself and giving of yourself into bitterness and resentment if the motivation is wrong. Because true generos- generosity seeks nothing in return. Nothing in return. I think that we would all agree that there is no one who can better exemplify generosity than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, His lavishness, His open-handedness, His grace. What is it that we could give Him in return? Really, there's, there's nothing that's above the value of his life that was given for us. And yet what he's asking us is, cast on me all your cares, all your burdens, cast on me. What he took upon himself are all of our sins. And he gave to us eternal life by grace. In verse 9 in the same chapter, 
It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in our chapter, in the section of this chapter that we're covering this morning, Paul takes the time to write about some churches in Macedonia. It's not just a church in Macedonia, although we are part of one church. Uh, the Lord has one bride, not many, it's just one bride. But there are many small, you could say, local churches as we have here in this area. And Paul takes the time to write about some churches in the region of Macedonia who have demonstrated beautiful generosity. Now, what we need to understand is that the churches in Macedonia are not financially well off. But they were spiritually wealthy and willing to give generously. And Paul wanted to explain to the Christians in Corinth how this was happening, how this was happening, why it was happening, so that they too could know this heart and be blessed to learn what generosity truly means, what it looks like, what it is. The Bible covers everything. As we were, I, we were, I was having a conversation with someone here before service and we were talking about how it is that the Bible covers everything that pertains to life and godliness, as the Apostle Peter wrote. And a generous life should be what we've come to be known for as followers of Jesus Christ, followers of the one who gave himself freely and joyfully so that we could come to know life. And that, by the way, as John 10.10 tells us in Jesus' words, and that more abundantly. The question is, why practice generosity? Has a blessing come to us so that we could just keep the blessing? And the answer is because it keeps our eyes off ourselves and on others. And the Bible very clearly says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Philippians 2.3 So there are three things that we can break this section of Scripture down into. Number one is generosity comes from God's overflow of grace. Secondly, generosity is an expression of God's grace. And thirdly, generosity marks the growing Christian. Let's first take a look, uh, take a look at generosity, how it comes from God's overflowing grace. This is what Paul was making sure the Corinthians knew, that where, where this generosity just truly came from. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. There's a, a tendency for us to think that the person who has little as far as finances is concerned, um, material wealth, also has very little to give. That's in the eyes of the world. But in the eyes of the Lord, what we need to understand is that generosity has nothing to do with material possessions or how much is in our bank accounts. It has nothing to do with that, but everything to do with possessing heavenly riches in Christ Jesus and realizing that. Understanding what it is that pleases the Lord. 
the most generous people I know are really ones that don't have much in terms of earthly riches, but are genuinely and literally willing to give you the shirt off their backs. I've seen them to be the most humble, unassuming people who bring glory to God. Um, I grew up with, uh, with a family that, that, uh, that really didn't have much. But I remember my, my aunts and uncles, what they didn't have in, in money, what they didn't have in homes or earthly possessions, they gave of themselves in whatever it was that you needed. And it was truly a great example to me in my family and in my, my brother and my sister. I mean, I, I think of that and I think, wow, that's, that's generosity. That's just giving of oneself in such a way that take, they, they would take their eyes off themselves and say, it doesn't really matter. And if you realize what they were sacrificing, it would bring you to tears. Paul enthusiastically desires that the brothers and sisters in Corinth know about this generosity that, that's happening just north of them. You see, they were in the southern part of Greece. This is known as Ikea. And not Ikea, but Achaia. And in the north, was, that region was no, known as Macedonia. And Paul just was very passionate about it. He wanted them to know, hey, this is what's going on, and this is why it's happening. What we first need to notice here is that Paul first wanted them to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. It's the grace of God, and by which they were moved to be generous, to generosity. Now, we know that, that God's grace toward us is unconditional. It's demonstrated. And Paul is making it abundantly clear that when people are spontaneously generous, he's pointing to this example. When they are spontaneously generous toward others, it is evidence that it is God's grace that is working in and through them. By the way, he wasn't pitting one church against the other. You know, well, I, you know, I want to I sit up here and motivate you. You know the, the church down the street. Um, well, they have been very generous. And you all know that we have needs here. So I want to tell you just what they've done in generosity. No, it, it wasn't like that at all. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't for that. It was way beyond that. In fact, when the Word tells us, when the Word... Uh, talks about generosity has nothing to do really even with finances and it has everything to do with your heart when we give of ourselves it can be self-serving even because we're seeking something in return even if it's to feel better because we were so giving this tends this tends to puff up a person it's, it's better to give and give joyfully whatever it is and expect nothing in return. Then your blessing and your reward and your treasure is in heaven. It's not an earthly thing. Even a poor person who gives can compare himself to a rich person who doesn't and be prideful 
and their generosity counts for nothing. So you've got to be careful. Sometimes we, we say, oh, well, the, the rich don't give. And, and you know, what I give, I, I, I truly give. It's like, mm, well, that's like the Pharisee who is saying, you know, at least I'm not like him. It's like, so let me pray in public that everyone may see me. Oh, well, hey, you got your reward. You know, you got your pat on the back. That's it for you. You know, even, even the person who doesn't have can be puffed up with pride with the little that they do give or the much that they do give. But when we give out of the grace that God has given us, then it is with the right motive. It is God-serving, not self-serving, and we are seeking nothing in return, but rather are interested in His glory and praise, and not ours. This tends to be humbling. Because what is our tendency to do? To toot our own horn, yeah. Right? A little bit, well... You know, someone says something and you want to one-up them. That's our tendency. Or, yeah, let me tell you about, you know, some of the things that I've done. Oh, that, that's awesome. That's, that's really good. But really, genuine generosity is giving and not, not really seeking anything in return. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And then we need to learn what that is. Like, like in our lives, practically, as Christians, we should be the most generous people. Like, as my dear friend says, it's all going to burn, right? <laughs> and it is. It is. We heard it yesterday. The only thing that you're going to be able to take with you is that which you've given. And so Paul describes the poverty of the Macedonians as a severe test of affliction. Yeah, I, I want part in that, right? That, that's hard, though. This is, this is what Paul is describing as a severe test of affliction. This points to the outcome, by the way, not the test itself, because the outcome is more important than the test, because it proves their Christian character or the lack thereof. A test in school is not for the sake of the school or the teacher. As students, we kind of think, oh, this is for my teacher. I'm doing this for my teacher, and I have to do this because they gave me this test. And, you know, I, no, it's not for the teacher. They, if they've done a good job, they've taught you what you need to know to take that test. And in that test, what happens is that it's for the sake of the student because the results or the outcome of the test reflects the level of knowledge and understanding of the student, revealing what action should be taken as a result of it. Hey, you know what? You're doing great. Keep studying. You're doing well. You're understanding. You're comprehending what's been taught to you. But if you get your test back and you're like, there's a bunch of red marks on it, a little writing in the margins, it's like, that still demands a response. So you're looking at wow, I, I haven't comprehended this fully. I, I don't understand it well. This is the test. This is not for the teacher. The teacher writes all these things on the side and does all these things, gives back some feedback, hopefully. It's for you, the student. It's for us. As we go through these afflictions, as we go through these tests, it reveals our hearts to ourselves. 
God already knows our hearts. I keep telling you, it's not for His sake. It's for our sake. So our hearts are revealed, and then we need to respond to that. We're tested all the time. Again, it's not for God's sake, it's for our sake. And this is where Paul is pointing to an example that is worthy to follow. In extreme poverty, the Macedonian Christians possessed two things that we see here in these two verses. Number one, an abundance of joy. That means that it was overflowing. That it wasn't just, okay, so I'm, I'm filled with joy. No, it was overflowing. It's, it's one of those um, group of people who are joyful and contagious. You can't help but be joyful when you get around a bunch of people who are joyful. Like overflowing with joy. Like, I'm excited about life. I'm excited about what God is doing in our lives. And it's like, man, you know, when I left, he was just full of joy. And I, and I see it, and wow, purpose and hope and all of that. And that is, like, rubbing off on me. That's how they were. And that's what Paul was telling the Corinthians. That's how the Macedonian church is. Although they are experiencing extreme poverty. He's not saying that Corinth was. He's saying it was the Macedonian Christians who were being afflicted in that manner. Secondly, we see here, odd, an abundance of wealth. Wait a minute, I thought they were experiencing extreme poverty. (laughs) Yeah. And yet... They were considered to possess great wealth. In fact, it's an overflowing wealth. The test of affliction was extreme poverty. And what was proven in this test is what they possessed that could not be measured by worldly standards, but rather heavenly standards. Please hold your place there and let's turn to Revelation chapter 2. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 8, speaks, speaks to this very same thing. It says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write the words of the first and the last who died and, and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. If you are in Christ, you will not be hurt by the second death. In fact, all that second physical death is, is a doorway into eternity, God's glory, His presence, heaven, and where there's no more pain, no more suffering, we will enjoy His presence forever. That's it. And and He tells the church in Smyrna, you, you are rich, although you, hey, I know your poverty, but you are rich. It all originated and was the cause 
of God's grace that they had come to know intimately and were encouraged and were overflowing with joy and and what the Lord considered to be abundantly rich, overflowing. And their overflow, what the Apostle Paul was pointing to, was actually God's overflow of grace in their lives. And then we need to see how they gave. Verses 3 through 5 says, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. We see in these verses that generosity is an expression of God's grace. And yes, they gave according to their means. This would be considered responsible stewardship, right? It's like, yeah, okay. I, I can go along with that. You know, they gave according to their means. Second Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's true. But sadly enough, this verse is quoted more so to justify why we're decided to give a little bit of leftovers that we have when we've spent most of it on ourselves. And it, it is. I mean, and, and this is something that I believe as a whole we need to confess to. We need to confess to. We are guilty of that, of giving God our leftovers and so many things. Our time, yes, our money, of ourselves in service, of ourselves in so many different ways. It's like, well, this is what I have left over. And I'll give that to you. And I'm giving joyfully, though, whatever I have left over, I'm giving to you joyfully. Remember I said at the very beginning, it has nothing to do with our pocketbooks and it has everything to do with our hearts. It's true. It has everything to do with our hearts. And I told you also at the very beginning that generosity doesn't just speak of finances. It speaks of every area of our lives. Yesterday, a lot was said at the conference about our devotional life. Are we given the best of our time to sitting at the feet of Jesus and not necessarily being like Martha that was just busy serving, which that is a good place, but it's not the first place. God is not asking to give because He needs it. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's the creator of the universe. He's sovereign God. He's all-powerful. So He's not even, he's not even asking, actually. <laughs> he commands us. But He doesn't do so because He needs it, but because He knows our hearts again and how giving actually reflects the lavish love that He has given to us in His Son, Jesus Christ. But for the Macedonian Christians, it didn't stop there. It's not just they gave within their means. It didn't stop there. Not for the Macedonian believers. He said, and beyond their means, of their own accord. 
reminds me of a certain story in Mark chapter 12 that I want to take a look at. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. Mark chapter 12, verse 41, begins just this short um, description of a situation that Jesus was very much interested in. It says, And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. It's interesting for so many reasons how it is that this was important to Jesus. How he grabbed that situation and turned it into a lesson for the disciples. Number one, Jesus was watching. Number two, he knew exactly what she put in. These two copper coins that make up one penny. We don't even have that. It's like cutting a penny in half and she put plop, plop, those two halves that made up a penny. And yet it was a wonderful form of praise and worship, of trust, of sacrifice from this widow. And Jesus called his disciples over and he said, hey, listen, all the other people that have come before her were giving out of their leftovers, out of their abundance, what they could. And it wouldn't affect them at all. But she gave everything. And then he said, go get her, bring her back, give her her penny back. Did he say that? He, he didn't say that. He just saw it. He, in fact, you could say it was one of those sacrifices that was simply received by the Lord. He knows our cares. He knows our needs. And he is faithful. He will give us our needs. Those things that he says that if we seek first, what you guys finish that. What are, we, what are we to seek first? And righteousness. Right? What will he, what will he do? says he'll he'll meet our needs, right? He'll provide for us. He's faithful. Is that true? Yeah. That's God's word. I believe it to be true, and I've seen it in my own life. What a tough lesson, I'm telling you. Because it's always like, oh man, that's like that's it's convicting because it is a matter of the heart. John Trapp said, quote, that poor widow, that poor widow's might was beyond the rich man's magnificence because it came out of a richer mind. 
And so Paul, like Jesus, wanted this to serve as an example of an acceptable and pleasing sacrifice of giving. It's like the Apostle Paul was calling the Corinthians over. Hey, I want to show you something that's going on. And I want you to look at why it is that they are giving the way they're giving. Their generosity is just blessing and glorifying and praising God. It's like he was pulling them over. It's implied here, by the way, that Paul did not want to take what they wanted to give for the needs of the saints in Jerusalem. It's implied there as as we read. He says... um, For they gave according to their means, uh, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor. They were begging. So that that implies that Paul was like, no, 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 you've you've given enough. You've given of your means. Like what won't really affect you in the next bill that's coming up. But the brethren begged Paul to allow them to participate by God's grace flowing through them to take care of those brothers who were in need in Jerusalem. The saints in Jerusalem, you told us about them. We are just moved by God to give, and even sacrificially. Even putting together those two copper coins that make up one penny that's beyond our means a little bit. We want to sacrificially give for the benefit of the saints in Jerusalem. We're begging you, please, please take this. This is, this is what we want to give. Why would they do this? Because they had first given themselves, and here's the key. They had first given themselves to Christ the Lord. And then they could give themselves to Paul and the needs of the people joyfully and generously. And it says here, by the will of God. So it was by the will of God. Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy that was set before him. You know who was set before him? You. All of us. Uh, fulfilling God's will. Perfectly, glorifying God the Father. The widow's sacrificial generosity was of her own accord. And the Macedonians' sacrificial generosity that the Apostle Paul was pointing to was of their own accord. But it was because they first gave themselves to the Lord, and thus their giving was basically an expression of God's grace that they had come to know. Again, I tell you, giving is never an issue of money or time or knowledge. Giving is an issue of possessing a right relationship with the Lord from which giving of ourselves will supernaturally follow. Because it doesn't follow naturally. Thirdly and finally, generosity marks the growing Christian. Verse 6 says, Accordingly, we urge Titus that... As he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Titus was there to meet with them and, and, and also to collect from their 
the contribution they had, they had put together for the saints in Jerusalem. And the Apostle Paul was saying, hey, Titus finished this act of grace. That's what he considered it. This, this was an act of grace. Because this is scripture and just not, it's not just that we can't consider this a, you know, a historical document. This is good information to glean from. No, 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 this is scripture. This is the very breath of God. So more importantly, God considers this act to be an act of grace. We've already noted from last week's study in chapter 7 that Paul was excited. He was rejoicing about the repentance that he saw in the Corinthian believers, that he received word back about them, this report, and how that that had led them to a revival, basically, in living godly lives to the Lord. So here Paul is saying, hey, as you excelled, and continue to grow in your faith in the Lord, the proclamation of the gospel, and the knowledge you're growing in as students of the word of God, with great care and awareness, with an understanding of our love for you, make sure you don't forget to excel in grace also. Make sure you don't forget that. What this means is that we are to stand out, to shine, to be unparalleled, to be unmatched. I I love what... The Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans 12, 9 through 10. He says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. And then this, outdo one another in showing honor. That's awesome. So he's saying, hey, if you're going to compete for something, to be better than your brethren, outdo one another in honoring each other. What does this mean? Oh, honor means to esteem each other more highly than ourselves. To give them and demonstrate to to them that they are of greater value in your eyes. That you truly are willing not only to lay your life down for them, but you are also willing to live for them. 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and now and to the day of eternity. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying to the Corinthians. Hey, listen, this is the great example. It's like Jesus calling over his disciples. Paul was calling over the Corinthians. Hey, check this out. You will be blessed beyond your imagination. This is absolutely amazing. You need to know why it is that they have these hearts of generosity. How it is that they're coming to the place of begging us to, to receive this and to help the saints in Jerusalem. This is going to, by the way, this conversation continues through the rest of this chapter and leads into chapter 9. But we see this snapshot, this introduction to the point where now he's going to be calling in chapter 9. What has begun, by the way, this, this started, this desire to give started in the Corinthians one year earlier. This is 12 months later. And they're, they're getting this letter and they're getting word of this. So they've been, it's been stirring within them. So this is just a portion of that. 
So what we covered this morning is, number one, generosity comes from God's overflow of grace. Number two, generosity is an expression of God's grace. And thirdly, generosity marks the growing Christian. Our generosity should be like God's gracious generosity. It should be offered without any expectation of getting anything in return or because of something that has been done for us. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Alan Redpath said this, quote, Once you see the matter of giving is centered in this lovely word, grace, it lifts the whole act away from mechanics, from pressure and duty, from oblig- obligation and mere legalism. It lifts us up into the most lovely atmosphere of an activity which seeks by giving to convey to others all that is lovely, all that is beautiful, all that is good, and all that is glorious. What a lovely word this word is. For there is no area in the Christian life in which grace shines out so much, so beautifully, so delightfully, and so happily, as when giving comes from the background of poverty. Close quote. We are rich in Christ beyond what we could ever think or imagine. May we be generous in our giving of ourselves in all forms. May we not hold anything back. May it all be giving, expecting nothing in return. I pray that we would learn to do that. Truly. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Father, we, um, we, Lord, confess to you that we fall way short of this. As you are mindful of us, so are we. We are mindful of ourselves as well. More so than we should be. Lord, we should love others as we love ourselves, as much as we do. We don't need any self-help books. We don't need any encouragement in loving ourselves, learning to love ourselves more so that we could love others. No, Lord, we, we love ourselves way too much. I pray, Lord, that you would help us Lord, to take our eyes truly off of ourselves. Quit making excuses for our lack of giving of ourselves in all forms. Help us, Lord, to quit justifying why we keep to ourselves because um, we're shy, we've been hurt, um, because of our family history, uh, because even of what we're going through at the present time, our circumstances. Lord, truly, all, all those things pale in comparison to what you've given to us and what we've come to know in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You've made us more than conquerors, not because of our own will or our own strength, but it's because of who abides in us, who lives in us, and who we abide in. 
It's who we know. And it's by your strength, Father. And so, Lord, I pray, I ask, Father, that you would forgive us of our sins, that you would cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, Lord, that you would help us to live lives that more closely resemble you and your generosity. We thank you, Father, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.